Our beer of the week this week is Unforeseen IPA from OMB, and it's un the number four scene. I don't know what that's about. Maybe it's because it has four ingredients, but it's that's kind of the beer we picked this week, and it has kind of a good theme that uh, I think Steve's going to enjoy here in a second. Yeah, so speaking of things that were kind of unforeseen uh, since the last time we recorded last week, and you you had alluded to this about halfway through the season, is Vrabel on the hot seat? Well, he got canned in Tennessee. I don't think it was fair based on especially uh, the general manager issues that happened prior uh, to him being canned. Uh, then we also had Pete Carroll retiring, and then your, your coach down in Alabama, Nick Saban, he retires, and then what at bill belichick we we could mention him here but a lot of people thought the writing was on the wall so i don't think that was unforeseen but something that we both thought would happen this weekend i think the general consensus thought would happen is that the cowboys would win at home against the packers and the packers absolutely demolished the dallas cowboys and that's the game that we'll talk about around the nfl but before we get into that we're going to talk about the panthers uh we talked about last week some of the head coaching candidates uh, we wanted to get a little bit more into kind of uh, the people that we're interviewing, what we like about them, what we don't like about them. So uh, without further ado, um, Jacob, do you want to kick it off? Yeah. Uh, and first, uh, let's do our little introduction. This is the first time that I'm doing it, but uh, this is Perfect Takes, uh, an NFL podcast, a Panthers podcast. I am your host, Jacob LaCroix, joined by my good friend and co-host, Stephen Patton. And uh, those were our four unforeseen things that happened. Yeah, let's get into the Panthers part. You know, we're in the offseason, so we kind of need to shift and find things for the Panthers future that we need to look at. And we did establish a list of coaching candidates that we requested to interview so far as 10 names. Uh, some, some of the have like the big hitters like uh, Ben Johnson, uh, Mike McDonald, some of the really big names. And then guys on our team like Evero and Chris Tabor have already been interviewed. But kind of want to go down the list and talk about, like you said, what we like and don't like about each one. And I think the big one that a lot of fans want is Ben Johnson, who I believe we have uh, requested to interview on Friday, I believe is the, the scheduled interview time. So we'll, we'll be talking to him this week. And I think he's the big one for a lot of reasons. Number one, he was the hot name in last year's coaching cycle too, right? Before he took himself out of consideration. And now, Again, we have a struggling offense and we want to pair our young rookie quarter. He'll be a sophomore quarterback next year with a young offensive mind. So I think there's a lot to like about Johnson. I like kind of how he schemes all of his skill position players to get touches. You know, we have rookies on the team like or he has rookies on the team like Jameer Gibbs and Sam Laporta, who both had phenomenal seasons. And then you have an all pro and Amon Ross St. Brown. You have David Montgomery, who uh, is a really good running back, and he got all of them involved, and that's one of the things I really like about Ben Johnson. Yeah, no, I think there are a lot of things to love about what Ben Johnson brings to the table, uh, how he puts him on raw in space. I know a comparison for him, actually, um, by Matt Harmon, a wide receiver expert, was Jonathan Mingo, and Mingo would be a bigger version of Amon Ra, but that's that's the vision he saw for Mingo in the Panthers' offense, and we didn't see that this past year with Reich, so bringing in Ben Johnson, who would probably use Mingo in that way. Um, my biggest concern for bringing in Ben Johnson is he's played with such a great uh, – not played, 
coached with such a great offensive line, uh, guys like Taylor Decker and Penny Sewell as his bookend tackles. And, and while we have Moten, we do have issues with Ike Aquano. And so you wonder, is some of his longer uh, developing play designs, are they going to be able to hold up behind our kind of porous offensive line? And that's really the biggest hesitation for me. Um, he was really good in 11 personnel, 12 personnel. He wasn't so great in, but he was really efficient in 13 and 21 personnel, uh, just able to diversify kind of what the defense is looking at. And he was able to do it with Jared Goff. And I think a lot of comparisons, and I'm not saying Bryce Young's Jared Goff, and I'm not saying Jared Goff is Bryce Young, but they both had really bad rookie years. And then, um, Jared Goff kind of took off in year two behind Sean McVay. So you bring in an offensive guru like Ben Johnson, maybe you have a chance to turn this franchise around and actually make a push for the playoffs because there are some good pieces on this team. It just got dampened by just the, the coaching staff and injuries this year. And we play in a weak division. So there's a lot of upside there. Um, again, my biggest concern is, is that he's worked behind such a great offensive line that if he doesn't have that here in Carolina, his play calling may get exposed. Yeah, I can definitely agree there. I think he's uh, probably the number one offensive guy for a lot of people to be our next head coach and to be a lot of teams' next head coaches. I know Washington seems to be heavily in the mix for him. I know the, uh, the Chargers are also in the mix. And then another offensive guy whose name probably went up after this week, after the Houston Texans pulled off the victory. I don't know if it was considered an upset because they were the four seed, but a lot of us, uh, both of us included, Thought that Cleveland would win that game, but Bobby Slowick called a pretty good offense for the Texans in this game. And I'll, I'll, I'll do the concern this time for me. My concern is that, uh, number one, this is his first year calling plays, right? I know Ben Johnson last year, that was some people's concerns that it, he was kind of a newer play caller, but he proved this year that he has the goods for more than one season. It wasn't like uh, beginner's luck. And I think that's the big thing with Slowick because he didn't call plays in San Francisco. Nobody does. Obviously, that's Kyle Shanahan's job. And he comes here and really performs super well and with a rookie QB to boot. And so is he just striking gold? Is he getting lucky? Is CJ Stroud super good and really kind of masking issues there? That's kind of my concern with Slowick. But what do you like about him? I, I love what he brings from the Kyle Shanahan tree. Uh, when you look at kind of the Shanahan tree versus like a, like a Mike McCarthy or Brian, uh, not Brian Schottenheimer, Marty, Marty Schottenheimer uh, kind of coaching philosophy. It's you win one-on-one -on -one matchups, but with the Shanahan tree, it's all about spatial design, getting guys in space. And he did a great job of that this year with Nico Collins and Tank Dell uh, using six, seven man protections to kind of counteract a porous offensive line because they had some injuries going into the year. Uh, those kind of like play designs that that really kind of boosted it for me in terms of him as a head coaching candidate. Going back to your concern, uh, Bobby Sloak and Dave Canales, uh, great year uh, in terms of first year on the job. But you wonder if uh, that's due in part to the players that they're working with, uh, beginner luck, as you kind of quoted. And for me, when we saw Stroud out, and again, the defenses they played were a little bit tougher, uh, we didn't see a lot of efficiency from Davis Mills, the backup. And that is, that's a little bit concerning for me, that C.J. Stroud is kind of carrying this offense and is able to do things that other quarterbacks aren't able to do as well. And he's able to kind of uh, piggyback off that. So that would be my concern. Other than that, I think he's, he's a great candidate. Again, guys that have come from the Shanahan tree recently have been phenomenal. Uh, so I don't think it would be a bad hire by any means. 
Yeah, I agree. I think this past weekend in the wildcard game, he really showed something uh, like with his designs and getting people into space like you're talking about. It, it made him rise up my board for sure. Uh, another offensive guy who isn't new to the league, but it is his first year calling plays uh, for the Baltimore Ravens. That's Todd Munkin. And the thing that I like about Munkin, and I listen to the Roar podcast by uh, John Ellis and Billy Marshall, very good Panthers pod. And Billy Marshall was talking about how adaptable Todd Munkin is. And after I heard that, I kind of went back and looked at what he did at his stops in uh, Tampa Bay and then at Georgia and then here in, in Baltimore, where he took over for Greg Roman and didn't really completely scrap the stuff. He kept a lot of the run concepts, but just elevated the passing game. Uh, for Lamar Jackson. Then at Georgia, he did a power run scheme, or not power run, but they leaned on the run there with Stetson Bennett and then used their tight ends across the middle of the field. And then back in Tampa Bay, when they had Jameis Winston, that was pretty much an air raid offense, right? I mean, that was yep. the Jameis uh, 30 for 30 year, uh, which is one of the crazier seasons we've ever seen. But his adaptability is something that I really appreciate. He's he's able to go into a situation, identify his strengths in terms of roster, and he's able to modify his offense accordingly. And that's something that we're, we're kind of concerned about Bobby Sloak and Dave Canales and even Ben Johnson to an extent. This is something that he's been able to kind of morph his identity to. Uh, in 11 personnel, they were very pass heavy, which kind of goes back to that air raid tendency. He he kind of incorporated uh, not only with Jameis Winston, but uh, Fitzmagic, uh, one of mm -hmm. Ryan Fitzpatrick's last years kind of in the NFL. He was tearing it up with both those guys. But then with Baltimore this year, he's incorporated a lot of 21 and 12 personnel. Greg Roman was a big 21 personnel guy, but incorporating that kind of 12 personnel, that that Andy Reid, uh, get bigger at tight end, and incorporating some of the stuff he did at Georgia, just so many great things that go off of. Um, Lamar Jackson obviously started a little slow this year. He was kind of gelling with some new wide receivers they brought in. But it seems like the offense just keeps getting better as the season goes on. And that's something that you want to see. You want to see an offense that is evolving, that they're layering different concepts to get to the point where they were completely demolishing the 49ers, the Dolphins, and it didn't look like you could do anything to stop them. Now, part of that is because of Lamar Jackson's elusiveness. But again, we've talked about other quarterbacks that he's done great things with. And I don't think that would be any different if we brought him here to Carolina to work with Bryce Young. For sure. I mean, he had Stetson Bennett uh, be a Heisman finalist one year. So like, and I, I'm not being a Stetson Bennett hater or a Georgia hater, but I mean, come on. Like <laughs> he had that guy in New York at the ceremony. So I don't know. This is a guy that I thought when it's, when the process started, I wouldn't really appreciate Todd Munkin, but the more I've learned about him, the more he's risen up my board. He's actually, in my opinion, the second or who I would prefer out of all the offensive play callers, he'd be a second to Ben Johnson on my list. But then you talked about a guy like Dave Canales, who's another first-year play caller, which is always a concern. But I saw a lot of tweets today going back to his time in Seattle where he was the QB coach and he worked with Russell Wilson and then with Geno Smith. Some of their best ball was when he was in the ears of the QBs there. That's something encouraging that you'd like to see because we have a struggling young quarterback who could use that kind of direction. Yeah, I, I think as a leader, he's phenomenal. It's the reason why Tampa Bay brought him in as their new offensive coordinator. But again, he's getting interviews, um, and it feels like he's piggybacking off of what Shane Waldron kind of did and was a part of. 
and he's not getting any looks. And Shane Waldron came directly from Sean McVay, uh, part of that 2020 year. Um, and then obviously the the last year Russ was in Seattle, the past couple of years with Gino. Like we we talk about uh guys that are elevating um either rookie quarterbacks or, or average quarterbacks. And that's exactly what I feel like Shane Waldron's done. He's done it with a bad offensive line at times. Um, and I, I understand he's not he's not on anybody's interview list, but that's that's kind of my concern is that if Dave Canales, the only edge he's got on a Shane Waldron is maybe leadership skills, which is a huge part of the head coaching role. My concern would be, is he nearly as good a play caller as a guy like Waldron? Um, or could we go a different route and find a better play caller with a Todd Monken, with a Ben Johnson? And we'll see as the interview process goes on. I think in a couple of years, he's going to be a phenomenal candidate if he's not scooped up here in the near future. Uh, but that leads us into another offensive play caller that does have a little bit more experience. I think like Shane Waldron, he flies a little underneath the radar, and that's Brian Callahan. He's currently uh, the Cincinnati Bengals offensive coordinator. He is son of Bill Callahan, a uh, offensive line legend. And it's cool to kind of see where he's been around. He was with the Broncos in the early 2010s. Um, and then, uh, so he has some ties to Gary Kubiak. He was kind of under John Fox for some of those years. Uh, then he went to Detroit with Jim Caldwell. So he has kind of ties to Tony Dungy and some of those, uh, great head coaches. And then he went to the Oakland Raiders with John Gruden before obviously going to Cincinnati with, um, Zach Taylor, who comes from the Sean McVay tree. So when you see kind of all the touches he has, they all kind of stem from that Shanahan tree because John Gruden kind of comes off of that. Um, Sean McVay kind of comes off of that. And Gary Kubiak kind of has uh, relation to some of the uh, Bill Walsh stuff in the 80s. So it's it's really cool uh, from an offensive mind perspective uh, what Cincinnati did with the backup quarterback this year when Joe Burrow was down uh, with Jake Browning. Uh, great stuff. And that's stuff that you want to see uh, to kind of boost your resume. So I don't think he's a bad candidate. I would be curious to see how he interviews. Um, but I think he's probably the best coordinator in Cincinnati. A lot of people hype up Lou Anarumo. Um, I think he's overrated. But in this case, I think Brian Callahan deserves a shot. Uh, what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I, you nailed basically what I was thinking, at, talking about all of his previous stops. What I really like is how uh, you talk about Denver. He worked with Peyton Manning there, where Manning had some of his best years. And you talk about he went to Detroit, where he's working with Matthew Stafford, uh, mm -hmm. then goes to Oakland. Uh, I'm not sure if Derek Carr, if that was the year I Derek Carr, Carr was, was out, or, or he could have been healthy. But that might have been, I don't know the exact year, but that might have been Derek Carr's uh, like third place MVP or um there and then obviously Joe Burrow has been excellent the past couple of years in Cincinnati and when he goes down Jake Browning had some really nice moments so his ability to work with multiple different QBs at different levels and help them perform at a high level is something you really want to see from a head or from any coordinator or coach but especially a guy that's going to connect to a young QB like Bryce Young so that's something that I would look forward to if he were the head coach here now another guy and Again, this is one of those things that we talked about, uh, like a guy coming from a Shanahan tree, not having any play calling experience. Uh, Mike McDaniel had none of that. I uh, went to Miami and he's been an absolute star. Uh, granted, he does have ties to that Washington staff in the early 2010s. Um, but the offensive coordinator that he has in Miami, Frank Smith, 
I is lauded as I believe by the players. This was like a player ranking, but he finished within the top five of offensive like coordinators and that's Frank Smith. So the players love him. He's, I think a huge part of what they're doing down in Miami. And I think to incorporate again, where we talked about Bobby Sloak earlier, even Brian Callahan a little bit ago, this is a guy that's going to bring some of those concepts from that tree. And Maybe he is. If they, he's truly a a, a player's coach um, that's able to incorporate scheme, um, he might be like a a Brian Dable where he comes in, he knows who to pick in terms of a play caller, a young guy that kind of knows what he's doing. And then uh, if Evero doesn't leave the building, I, I think you have a strong coaching staff going into 2024. Now, that's something that we said with Reich, but I think with Frank Smith, that's kind of the plus side for him. Uh, the negatives I would have on him go back to the fact that what is his play calling experience? And that's something with, we didn't really talk about a negative with Brian Callahan, but with Zach Taylor there, I think Zach Taylor's the play caller. You just worry about some of these guys, why they've been around great quarterbacks, why they've been around great offenses. They haven't actually been the one pulling the trigger. And that concerns me. Yeah, for sure. Um, Frank Smith was rated as the number one offensive coordinator on that survey you were referring to. So the players love him there. But uh, yeah, I don't know much about Frank Smith. Uh, I'm looking at the Panthers website where on their coaching tracker or their coach search tracker. And it says he joined the Saints in 2010 um, and has been in the NFL since then, but just says that he bounced around as a positions coach before joining the Dolphins as the OC two years so ago was, in 2022. He was with the Saints from 2010 to 2014, so he would be a part of Sean Payton's offense there. Uh, he was with the Bears as their tight ends coach. Uh, from 2015 to 2017 under John Fox. Uh, so like so Trey Panthers Burton like, era? like uh, I, I believe so, yeah. Around there, um, yeah. And then 2018 to 2020, he was with the Raiders. So John Gruden ties there, just like we, we talked about with Callahan. Um, and then he was with the Chargers in 2021. And I believe that was, that was a year, uh, Joe Lombardi. So that goes back to his days with the Saints. He was tied there, and then he was the offensive coordinator for the Dolphins the past two years. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So if the players like him, uh, that's obviously a plus. You know, that was a big thing with uh, Steve Wilkes, uh, maybe a season and a half ago. Now that that was somebody the players really rallied for and wanted to play for. Um, so that's a plus there. I'm just kind of skeptical, like you said, about the lack of play calling, especially not coming directly from the Shanahan tree. We've seen, uh, like you talked about with Mike McDaniel or coming from Sean McVay, Kevin O'Connell. Uh, neither of them had play calling experience, but obviously they're both really good at it. So who knows? Frank Smith studying under McDaniel may have a, a wealth of knowledge to bring, but I, I don't know. I'm not sold yet there. And that's all of the offensive guys that we've requested interviews for so far. Oh, no, uh, Brian Johnson as well uh, for the Eagles. But th that their one, offense has taken quite a step back this year. Um, yeah. I don't I'm, know. I, I'm, yeah. I, I think that like that's like the Rooney rule kind of situation. And if we're going to bring in somebody like that, and I know he was interviewed several years ago when Matt Rule was being interviewed, but this is some, uh, something where I would request to interview Eric Bieniemy again. Um, I understand Washington's offense wasn't all that, but that's that's a complex Andy Reid, West Coast style offense. 
And I feel like why Sam Howell wasn't necessarily as quick with his reads, Bryce Young might be a, a faster processor. And we saw when Brissett was in, um, he seemed to operate the offense just fine. So uh, they had a leaky offensive line. They had wide receivers that couldn't get separation. Um, but it seemed to work when the quarterback was making quick, timely decisions. Uh, that's something that I think Bryce Young could do. Again, I, I feel like there might be some rifts between Tepper and Bienemy to where that's not a viable option. Brian Johnson, I just I, I don't think he's he's good. Um, I, I don't well, think he had a lot of creativity after Shane Steichen left or Shane Steichen. Yeah, um, I, I would love Eric Bienemy to to be interviewed. I was a big fan of him during the rule cycle. As far as Brian Johnson goes, he was kind of a rising star a couple years ago. Um, I expected him to get a lot more interviews two cycles ago, like the Shane, Shane Steichen cycle, like to be team's offensive coordinators. And obviously he was promoted from within uh, for the Eagles. He has, he was the offensive coordinator at Florida a couple years for, I think, two or three years uh, when they had Anthony Richardson before he started because Dan Mullen is uh, not very good at starting. He's a terrorist. Player. It's, it's all, it, yeah, it happens. Um, it, that happens, yeah. Um, but yeah, he he's had good experience working with good players and stuff like that. I just think the entire Eagles organization, with the loss of Shane Steichen and Jonathan Gannon, took a huge step back this year. Um, I don't want to like discredit Brian Johnson or anything. Obviously, it's hard to replace Shane Steichen um, from a play calling perspective, and I think the offense has just regressed. I think people have figured him out, but. Uh, yeah, that, that's the end of the offensive guys. And then we've requested some defensive guys. Our, I forgot to write down Dan Quinn. We did request him. But after uh, this past week, I don't think I want any part of Dan Quinn. Uh, and I, <laughs> We'll like, get more to that in the coach talk. But yeah. And no, also, I, I'm not a big fan of retreads in general. Um, I wasn't the biggest fan of Frank Reich. And obviously, that didn't work out too well. And um, I think the one that I would like would be Vrabel. But we haven't requested him yet. But he's obviously a phenomenal coach. Um, the main defensive guy, Mike McDonald. I think uh, we're in agreement there. He, uh, We've talked about his linebacker kind of legacy, and that's just specialty and how that would mesh with the, the heritage of the Panthers. Talked about how, in my opinion, and I believe yours as well, he's the best defensive play caller in the National Football League, all this kind of stuff. Uh, I think he would just be a home run. Yeah, I mean, what he did with the Ravens defense first year on the job as their defense coordinator last year, absolutely phenomenal, especially when you consider all the injuries. And then his defense is healthy. And what we talked about in the offseason, obviously, the Ravens like to kind of hodgepodge their D-line. But I had some concerns about that going into the year. Are they going to be able to generate a like a pass rush? And they've had no issue whatsoever uh, between uh, signing Jadavian Clowney, uh, between what, Matab Matabuke? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, second team all pro Justin Madabuka. Yeah, no, absolute star. Um, they've they've been able to fit the run well. Uh, they they know how to play well on the back end. And I've I've seen different uh, videos of him kind of breaking down that they simplified kind of the terminology in the playbook. So it all made sense. It was very easy to communicate because one thing that I think gets lost with some of these is that you have play callers that can kind of get too cute. Uh, they get too complicated, and then there's coverage busts. And I think that's what helps what the Ravens do is that it's simple. It allows the players to play 
fast and keep everything in front of them. And then when he goes up against some of these high-powered offenses, he has answers. And that's something that when we get into kind of Dan Quinn later on in this episode, he doesn't have answers for some of these offenses that have the ability to kind of spread you out and and get different uh, mismatches on the defensive side. So that that kind of inspires in me that if we wanted to go the defensive route, it's got to be Mike McDonald. We bring him in. We bring in what I would think would be one of the the Ravens guys with him. I, I, I know I've been a Joe Hortz guy, but there's other guys in their front office that we could grab as our general manager. Just what the Ravens have done, the, the get the number one seed, what John Harbaugh has done with that franchise, I want some of that. I, I want that kind of success to be here for the next 10, 15 years. Um, because I'm, I'm tired of playing feels like Russian roulette with quarterbacks or not quarterbacks coaches. Uh, but instead of like one bullet being in there, it feels like there's one missing and like there's five bullets in there and we're just, it, it's rapid fire. Um, but regardless, uh, another guy that we interviewed a guy on our staff, we interviewed him last year, but we interviewed Evero. And I think that's an interesting one. I don't think he's a bad defensive play caller. I think he regressed a little bit from uh, his time with Denver last year. Um, but I think that was in part to having a lot of injuries, especially on the D-line, which allowed kind of some of the run fitting um, that is done with a, a coach that likes to play lighter boxes kind of impacted. And uh, offenses were kind of able to run the ball kind of at will on us. And then that would open up in the fourth quarter uh, some more passing concepts to where they could just go aerial and kind of put the dagger in us uh, to end the game. And those kind of concerns, um, they do worry me uh, for him as kind of a candidate. Yeah, I know I was kind of harder on Evero in the past couple episodes, uh, maybe in the last month of the season, because there were some poor performances from our defense there. But I think you summed it up well. I think the, the defensive scheme that he calls isn't bad. I think it just comes down to injuries across the entire defense and then lack of personnel in general. The, he plays mm -hmm. like a, not a prevent defense, but like a, uh, he wants to keep things in front of him, right? Absolutely. Uh, like it's a. Uh, You're running uh, more I, too high cover four concepts where there's more guys on the back end and not and more guys in the box. Right. It's more uh, prevention than disruption, I think is how I put it um, a couple weeks ago. And I, I think that's fine if you have the personnel for it, but we didn't this year. Uh, JC Horn was missing time as he does. We've just become accustomed to that. And Brian Burns uh, was nicked up throughout the year and obviously didn't have his best year. Uh, although Derek uh, Brown had a phenomenal season this year. We'll get to him on the all pro part. But uh, if, if we, we had YGM and Marcus Haynes actually healthy this year, I mm -hmm. think it would have changed a lot more of what we saw from Evero. Uh, I think we would have been more disruptive at the top of the year. Uh, we were forcing quarterbacks into a lot of mistakes, getting sacks, not necessarily so many interceptions, but we were we were generating some pressure. And that was nice to see. And that just kind of dissipated as as the injuries kind of ramped up. For sure. And he obviously knows the organization. So uh, I'm a big, I'm actually a fan of Evero. Um, I, there are other candidates that I would like, like Johnson, uh, Monk and McDonald, but uh, I wouldn't be upset with that hire. And then I'm not, I, I think he's out the, outside the top five for me. And, and we got to hit the home run on this one. This I, is I something agree. that I'd, I'd be a little bit more disappointed in. Um, I, I don't think he's a bad head coach candidate. I just, I don't know if I want him to be our head coach. Uh, that's fair. Um, another person on the Panthers staff that we did interview, uh, we also interviewed Munkin and McDonald because the Ravens were on a bye. 
because they were the one seed. So we've interviewed four head coaches with or head coaching candidates with Chris Tabor being the last one. He was obviously our special teams coordinator and our interim head coach uh, after Frank Reich was fired. Um, there's not much to say there. We know as mu- about as much as we can about uh, Chris Tabor. I think he's a, a great special teams coordinator. Um, I just don't think he did much with the team as the interim head coach. But to be fair, the team didn't do much before he was the head coach either. But that, that like that's the Wilkes argument. Like Wilkes took what Rule left him, which was a hot mess. Cam's been very vocal about what Wilkes did last year was very impressive because the roster wasn't very talented. And to me, that spoke volumes about Wilkes. Um, right. Tabor wasn't able to do that. And so for me, he doesn't add any play calling benefit either to the offense or defensive side. And I didn't feel like his management was just so, so great to where um, that's, that's a guy you want at that position. Now, do the players love him? Is he a great special teams guy? Absolutely. Those are things that you want in a locker room as a head coach. No, I think they just kind of, it, it was a formality, um, in terms of, Hey, let's just reevaluate. He was the guy that we kind of put as the interim. Um, let's give him a, a kind of his due. Yeah, so to speak. yeah, he earned, he earned an interview, you know, yeah. he, like and, the organization that- didn't crumble or anything. Exactly. Um, and now, granted, the two shutouts at the end of the year, back to back, that was a little brutal. But again, I, I would put that somewhat on Thomas Brown, I, some offensive I would put that miscues. on personnel uh, more yeah. than anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, another defensive guy, and it's interesting, these next two uh, both had a first round exit in the playoffs. First guy, Raheem Morris. Um, the biggest thing I saw a lot of people commenting is he had Michael Hoyt, who I think is a edge rusher or should be a, like a defensive yeah, end. Uh, he was in coverage like 16, 17 snaps, and he got targeted on six of the ones he dropped back in coverage, and they all went for first downs or touchdowns. Um, that's just like and, – and I'm not blaming Raheem Morris. He is literally like outside of Aaron Donald and a few rookies that have stepped up impressively uh he hasn't had a lot to work with so it's been impressive to see him kind of do what he has done uh but for me it's like kind of that evro um situation where it's like obviously uh made the most of a bad situation but is that enough to warrant a head coaching position and like you alluded to earlier uh with a couple of these coaches retreads aren't necessarily the best route to go um it was one of the last 10 win seasons the bucks had before getting brady um, so I guess that in and of itself is impressive. Um, but this isn't a guy that I think should be the head coach. I think he should kind of stay in that defensive play caller realm. I feel like that's where he excels the most. I think he definitely deserves multiple interviews. I thought what the, what yeah. he did with the Rams defense this year was phenomenal. You talked about the rookies that stepped up. He had a big part in that in, uh, Kobe Turner, the interior defensive line, I believe had nine sacks and then, it's uh, Byron Young, right? The other defensive lineman rookie yep. who had, I think, seven and a half this season. Out of Tennessee, I believe. Yeah. Yes. The, that, the that Tennessee, the Tennessee one, Tennessee not the Byron Alabama one. one. <laughs> yeah. I think the Alabama one went to the Raiders. But uh, yeah, for for us to come into the season with, and we talked about on the NFC West episode, uh, it was Aaron Donald and nobody else, right? Aaron Donald and the rest. And for him to be able to take rookies, not high pedigree rookies, mind you, these were both third rounders. And to have them produce like that, uh, it just speaks volumes of what he's been able to do. And he's a big part of why the Rams were able to make the playoffs so quickly into this. Uh, I, I don't want to call it like a rebuild or anything, but like the roster was gutted outside of their three stars. Right. Yeah. And so it, they're just kind of in limbo. But 
he was a big part of the reason they were able to make the playoffs. Like I said, um, I do think he deserves interviews and I think he probably should be a head coach somewhere. I just don't know if it's here. Um, like I said, they're like the, the defensive guy I would go for is McDonald. Um, I think he's the best defensive coordinator in the league, but Morris is up there for sure. And then we alluded to, uh, us requesting Dan Quinn as well. I don't want any part of that. Um, and not, not even just the playoff uh, collapse that they had this year. Uh, granted, the, the Dallas defense has been good the past two or three years since he's been there. But uh, Dan Quinn was the fastest head coach fired within a season. Um, he actually, faster than Matt Rule, he was fired after game four um, for, uh, on the Falcons. So I, yeah, I don't want any part of the uh, former Falcon, especially one that uh, contributed to the 28-3 debacle. But uh, it's neither here nor there. Yeah. And the the twenty eight three debacle. I mean, they they made the Super Bowl with guys like Kyle Shanahan, Matt Lafleur, Mike McDaniel on the staff. Guys who have earned their pedigree, who are six and zero against Dan Quinn's defense uh, since becoming head coaches, uh, which kind of speaks to. I I don't want to say they elevated the roster that was in Atlanta, but I I think they were a large part of the success that happened there. And I wanna I wanna kind of bring this into our around the NFL um, time is of the essence here, but we wanted to talk about that Green Bay Dallas game. And one of the things that uh, Theo Riddick kind of pointed out, um, and it was something that I had noticed with the 49ers game, with the um, Bills game, with then even the Dolphins game, all three of which were losses for Dan Quinn and that Cowboys team. And it was these teams that are able to get into 21 personnel in the 12 personnel, they're able to get bigger. And what we saw the Cowboys do is they would just say in diamond nickel and they didn't have an answer. They couldn't run fit. And that's exactly what Matt LaFleur exposed. Like he, he got into a, a several of these like 12 personnel groups, uh, multiple bodies on the line. And you would see these light boxes and we saw Aaron Jones have a day. He had three touchdowns against the Cowboys on Saturday um with saturday no sunday uh, sunday, sunday yes. yeah yes it was sunday yeah i just confused with uh some of the date and points um but louis riddick was just th- th- this was just one image but this is kind of just the epitome of what dan quinn is and we saw this with atlanta he had keanu neal he had um oh who's the linebacker i've gotten this mixed up now twice Vic Beasley. Um, well, no, big yeah. oh, uh, Deion um, Jones. Deion Jones. Yep, Deion Jones. I was going to say uh, Deion White, but that wasn't right. So Deion Jones, yeah. Vic Beasley, all these undersized dudes. And don't get me wrong. And, and even Grady Jarrett place. is undersized. But he, exactly. as good as he is, as good as he is, he's undersized. Yeah. And and you would think the biggest way to like fix this, and, and this is just me kind of spitballing, but if you're in this situation where you see them go into 12 or 21 personnel and you have Micah Parsons, who I understand is a phenomenal edge rusher but if a team's going to get bigger than this most of the time their their run rate is around 50 percent, so they aren't passing that much so put micah parsons as a linebacker and get in the base defense you have a a, a stacked defensive line there in dallas use that rotation to your advantage and match their personnel and again this is something that dan quinn just he has all this talent on the defense he has the ability to mix and match some stuff and he doesn't and that, to me, spoke volumes as to why not only did 48 points get hung on the Cowboys at home, but why he should not be a head coach uh, anywhere. And I understand there's there's takes on him maybe going back to Seattle. I think Seattle should want no part in Dan Quinn as their head coach. You brought up a lot of good points. And as bad as the defense was that game, I think the offense was equally horrible. 
outside of the fourth quarter, which yeah. uh, I think we can all agree is just pure stat padding. Dak Prescott did one of the best stat padding jobs I've ever seen. He went into the fourth quarter with one touchdown and I think it was like 180 yards, 190 yards. He left with three touchdowns and 400 something yards. So excellent stat pad by him with them playing prevent defense the entire half. But uh, the, yeah, the offense, uh, it was just stagnant the entire game, especially early on. We have Dak uh, playing scared, as you put it, in uh, one of the group chats. Multiple turnovers. Uh, one of them was pick sixth. Uh, the the offensive play calling wasn't really working out either. There were guys uh, not – like some guys were just left open but weren't a part of his read, or a lot of times guys were just bottled up by Joe Barry's defense of all defenses. Yep. So this was – it just wasn't a good look for Quinn or Mike McCarthy calling the offense on either side of the ball. And uh, it kind of makes you wonder, like uh, we saw Jerry Jones up uh, in his box and he was sitting, he was sitting on a throne, by the way, I got to point that out. (laughs) He was sitting, one of my friends pointed it out. He had like, uh, it it was just like a really fancy chair in his box, just complete Jerry Jones stuff. But uh, he's a despot sitting on his throne and it looked like he was cursing uh, there in the fourth quarter on that game. And I would be pretty angry too, if this was the performance I thought you and I both thought that the Cowboys at home who were undefeated at home this season, if I recall correctly. They, they've won like 15 or 16 straight games. The last loss they had was Tampa Bay last year in week one uh, yeah. when Tom Brady was still in the NFL. Like, just like they like this is unacceptable. It really is. Right. Like at it home is. where they have the probably the biggest advantage in the NFL. Uh, I think one of the AT&T best yeah. stadium is still one of the best uh, Cowboys fans are insatiable. So I'm sure they have a great advantage there, but they just got blasted. There's no other way to put it. They got crushed 48 points and granted six or seven of them were from a pick six, but, uh, and you had, you had another seven almost set yeah. up by another pick by Jair Alexander on a, a borderline. I, I don't know if I'd call it pass interference, but there was definitely, uh, yeah, some, some contact t- some with the wide fighting. receiver. Yeah. Yeah. Before the ball got there, but that was, that's playoff football. So like it is. it's whatever, but yeah, so let, we can even take two touchdowns off the board, 34 points. Yep. hung on you at home and then you can't score that against joe barry the panthers uh played better against joe barry's defense uh, yeah. but it, it is what it is um i'm sure there might be moves there uh in the next couple of days we'll see and then the other thing i wanted to say was a absolutely great game from jordan love i think he from the start of the year where he was just horrible missing open players across the field to this game now granted there were a bunch of open receivers this game the, uh, the Luke Musgrave touchdown down the right sideline was, I believe, the most open reception charted by Next yeah. Gen Stats this year. It was 17.2 yards of separation. So a lot of stuff was handed to him. Like you said, Dan Quinn didn't really adjust. But I think he played well this game and has played well down the stretch at the end of the season. I think he's proved that he is the guy in Green Bay for the foreseeable future, at least in the next couple of years. So shout out to him. But uh as far as coaches go, and I feel like this is a perfect segue into the coach talk, we talked about the guys that we would want for the Panther, or the guys that we have requested interviews, what we like and don't like about them. I think we need to talk about the open spots and who we think is best. I know last week we talked about kind of the leading odds for each team. But uh, just starting with Dallas, now they haven't officially fired um, McCarthy, right? But Yeah. Uh, they're, they're, <laughs> The talks in the air about Belichick, right? So, so my my concern would be, and I don't know if Jerry Jones, because he had Jason Garrett in the building for as long as he did, um, he didn't can Wade Phillips until it was a regular season meltdown. Um, 
Mike McCarthy is a guy that in the regular season has won 12 games uh, three consecutive years. Now, that is the first time that someone's won 12 or more games and not been to a conference championship, which definitely is a blemish on your record. But this is a team that has been playing very well over the past few years, and that's not a level of consistency in terms of excellence that they've had over the – like, you you could go back from Jason Garrett to Wade Phillips to even Bill Parcells. Like, you have to go back to the 90s to find this kind of level of consistency from the coaching staff. And so it's definitely something to mull over. My thing would be is who is going to replace Mike McCarthy that's going to get you better results. And if it's not going to be a better replacement there, do you need to try to find an upgrade at quarterback? Because Dak Prescott had a great year. He's going to want top of the line, like market deal. Is that something where you trade him to a team like the Atlanta Falcons, try to move up in the draft, develop a guy? You have Trey Lance on the roster. How do you feel about him? Has he been developed? Um, And these are questions I think they need to ask because if you don't think you can upgrade from Mike McCarthy, if you feel like Ben Johnson, you can't grab him or you can't grab some of these other guys. And I know Bobby Sloak's been tied to it. I know, like you said, you brought up Bill Belichick. But if Bill Belichick doesn't bring in an offensive guru, like – the defense can only take you so far. This is an offensive driven league. And if you don't have an offense that can drop 30 points on a given night, um, it's going to make life kind of miserable. So these are, these are, I think conversations that are being had in that front office. I think they're a little shocked by this loss. And so there's a lot more reevaluating being done uh, prior to what I think they were going to be reevaluating. I thought they would be more reevaluating like a, another 49ers loss, not a loss to the seven seed, which, by the way, as you've pointed out, is the first time a seven seed has won since the playoff playoffs have been expanded. Um, and that's just a credit to what Matt LaFleur and Jordan Love were able to do. I mean, Jordan Love, that beautiful sidearm at the end of the game, it was on a fourth and goal. They were already up uh, big at that point. Um, Matt LaFleur had guys running wide open, like you said. I think it was like 17.2 yards of separation mm-hmm. on that touchdown to um, – Musgrave. Oh, Yep, I was about to say Tucker Craft, but it was Musgrave on that one. And they just look like a complete offense. Like Christian Watson's healthy. Romeo Dobbs was catching dimes uh, across the field when Love was kind of rolling out. Uh, Wicks and Jaden Reed have been phenomenal rookies. So, And, and they have a top, top five, top ten offensive line. And this was stuff that we talked about in the offseason, that if Jordan Love played average, this would be a good team. And I think he's played above that average mark. And so I think they have a shot in Santa Clara. Um, I think we both would be surprised though, if they beat the 49ers this weekend. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, as far as that game goes, I got the 49ers. Well, that's the classic, uh, 49ers green Bay kind of matchup there. Uh, just, just to kind of rapid fire through the available head coaching spots, uh, Atlanta. Um, I know there's a ton of ties to Belichick there. In fact, they didn't even request to interview any head coaches. And bear in mind, Arthur Smith had been fired for like a week. They didn't even request anybody until Belichick officially – I don't know if it's stepped down or was fired, whatever the verbiage is there. But then all the requests started coming in. I think they need an offensive guy, um, and I I think you agree with that. Um, Obviously, Ben Johnson's number one on anybody's list, but you brought up Eric Bieniemy before before we were recording, and I think that would be a good fit there if they can get a QB because they need a QB. Yeah, they do. 
Um, Atlanta it obviously has to figure out the quarterback situation, which is why I would be hesitant of hiring Bill Belichick. I think the infatuation that uh, Arthur Blank has with that tree is obviously he hires Arthur Smith from Mike Rabel, and Mike Rabel played under Bill Belichick. He coached under Bill O'Brien, a Bill Belichick prodigy. Uh, before that, he hired Dan Quinn, and Dan Quinn had previous time under Eric Mangini, and uh, Nick Saban, two guys that came from Bill Belichick, and then Thomas Dimitrov, currently with Sumer Sports, but a GM uh, several years back. Uh, he came from the scouting department in New England. So I think there's an infatuation with the Atlanta owner with kind of what has happened in New England over the past 20 years. And I think he thinks he plugs in that coach. They're an automatic playoff contender. And like you said, I think there are a lot more concerns at the quarterback position. And getting an offensive-minded guy uh, with that new quarterback may be the best route to go, especially if you can keep a, a guy like Ryan Nielsen, who had the defense playing really well this year. Yeah, for sure. Uh, as long as they get an offensive guy there, I think they're in good shape. So hopefully they do uh, end up getting Belichick or somebody. Uh, so Las well, Vegas. Fire. So yeah, Las Vegas. Yeah, Las Vegas. Um, Antonio Pierce, I think they need to keep him. Uh, the big thing, number one, he – he turned the locker room around. We talked about that last week, but then came out this week that Max Crosby will request a trade if they don't hire or promote Antonio Pierce to the full-time role. That's their best player. Um, oh, actually, Devontae Adams. He's That's their second best uh, player. Yeah, I would say Max Crosby is better than Adams at this point. Uh, that's fair. Uh, second contract. team all pro yeah. this year, too. Yep. So, yeah, if your best player says, I'm leaving if you don't hire this guy, you should probably hire him. That's just... Uh, and, and just like Atlanta, yeah. the only question I have is who the quarterback's going to be and if they go f away from Bo Hardigree as the offensive play caller, and if so, who's that new guy? Um, those are my two questions with Las Vegas. I think Antonio Pierce is the guy. Um, he's been a phenomenal leader. Uh, he kind of did a Wilkes kind of job at the end of the year, uh, and I think he deserves a chance. Like This is a guy that I think deserves to run it back. This was kind of they, – they let uh, Rich – is it Bisaccio? Yeah, Rich Bisaccio, who, by the way – is yeah the green bay special teams coordinator so yeah and it's one of those things uh green bay's making a run of their own uh and they let him go so it's like how about you let your interim guy who has been the more successful between the head coach and the interim uh the past two times you've now gone through in a head coaching cycle let him be the guy see what he can do um i'm, I'm very intrigued uh their interim gm actually went overtime uh when interviewing with the panthers i think this past hmm. week which was insane he had no notes uh, apparently just kind of seat, not seat of the cuff or cuff of his pants kind of thing. Uh, definitely well-prepared, but it, very energetic, knew what he was talking about, had a vision. And those are the kind of things that it, are coming out of Las Vegas right now. So I'm very curious to see kind of where they go. Uh, but that leads us into the Chargers, which um, they have Justin Herbert. They, they don't have a quarterback issue like the previous two teams that we talked about. There's been a lot of circulation. Oh, does Ben Johnson go there? I know Jim Harbaugh has been kind of the hot topic around there. Um, they have the fifth pick, so you can bring in another wide receiver. You can clear cap space. You have a solid offensive line. Um, my my concern is is that I feel like he's going to bring in Greg Roman. They're going to run the ball a lot, which they're going to have to find another running back because I don't think Joshua Kelly and some of the other guys that they have behind Austin Eckler are all that. So you're going to have to define your identity there. And then on the defensive side, I wonder how they're going to fix some things up because that's just been abysmal the past few years. 
Yeah, I'm all in for Harbaugh. Obviously, he played for the Chargers. Um, he's just been successful anywhere he's gone. I, he would be my number one candidate for the Panthers if we requested him. But I think him and uh, David Tepper would butt heads. Yep. Harbaugh is like the opposite of Brandon Staley. He's uh, he's going to say it like it is. He's not going to kind of cower in the uh, the media availabilities and say no, he's no. He's not going to cry. <laughs> yeah, this no. We're we're doing a good job. Uh, we didn't we didn't get blown out by forty yet. Um, and then they did, and then he got fired. But, uh, no, he's been uh, successful everywhere. And I think I talked about it a couple weeks ago. Wouldn't it be sweet if he succeeds with another California team and then he ends up beating the Niners in some random game or something, just kind of sticking it to him? That that would be pretty great. Um, I know he probably butts heads still with the 49ers owner, which is, again, why David Tepper didn't request the interview him. Um, but I think he's a good candidate. Again, my concerns are is that he's going to try to – uh, run an offense um, similar to what they ran 10 years ago. And I think that's a little outdated. I, I want to see kind of an evolution from him as a head coach in the NFL. Um, and I, I, I'm a little wary on that. I think he he definitely brings stability to that coaching position. But we just saw Reich. He was the first Panthers uh, quarterback. Um, he was respected across the league. And then he came here and it was absolute dumpster fire. So it's one of those things, uh, caution beware, um, but he is coming off a national title. He is a good head coach. Um, so I think I think some of that does translate. Uh, moving on to Washington, uh, they have one of the best, I think, landing spots. Uh, they obviously have a lot of holes across the roster. But when you have the second overall pick, when you're second in effective cap space, you have the ability with the new general manager to build the team in like your vision for it. And I think that would be really cool. I think Ben Johnson is probably one of their top candidates. And I think he would have a lot of inclination to go there because you can keep Sam Howell. You have Jacoby Brissett on the roster. You can draft your guy, whether it be a Drake May, Caleb Williams, and you can really just start from scratch. And there's no expectation day one that, hey, you need to make the playoffs. Like a guy like a Bill Belichick, he goes to Atlanta, he goes to Dallas. There's automatic expectation that you have to succeed there's not that expectation going into washington which i think puts a little bit of stress off your shoulders as a head coach when you already have so much going on so i i don't know how you feel about the washington situation but i think this is one of the the better landing spots so to speak for any candidate yeah i agree i think it's the best landing spot uh second overall picks they're getting caleb williams or drake may who I believe are neck and neck basically is just preference at that point. Uh, second in effective cap space, like you said, any of the holes on their roster, they can fill with immediate starters and free agency. And then you mentioned, you alluded to, they hired a new GM. They hired the 49ers guy, Adam Peters, who was my number one oh, that's right. GM yep. candidate that we talked about a couple weeks ago. And uh, the, the talk around the league is that he's been wanting, he's been waiting on a good job and he wants to bring on Ben Johnson. So I think that that's going to be a good pairing there. And like you said, new owner, like they're leaving the dark ages of Dan Snyder. And I, like, there are no expectations. You've already won because yep. the, you got the, like, rid of the, the whole loser. new regime. Yeah. Right. You got rid of the, like, to say it again, the dark ages. So like coming in on a, on a fresh start, you're going to have your own quarterback. You're going to have money to play with. You already have some decent skill position players and McLaurin and Dotson. and I know uh, Curtis Samuel's a free agent, but guys like Brian Robinson have been effective. Even Cole Turner, their young tight end was good down the stretch this year. So I think that's the best spot there or the best uh, landing spot for any head coach. And I think Ben Johnson's a perfect fit. Tennessee, uh, I, I don't know what to say about Tennessee. The perfect guy is Mike Vrabel, to be frank. Yeah. But they just fired him. And so, like, I don't know. 
where they're going to go there. I'm just going to fall back on the stat you came up with last last week with all the mics and say Mike McDonald's the guy there because if they want to play tough football, they, they still have a strong defense. Mike McDonald's the best defensive play caller in the league. Yeah, I, I, I think that would be good. Um, I don't know if kind of the vision for that team is kind of what you're seeing with like uh, Jordan Love. It was you, you draft your quarterback, you let him sit for a little bit, he, he develops a little bit, and they have they have Will Levis, big arm. He's created a lot of explosive plays. He's also created a lot of negative plays. Uh, is this a time where you kind of pivot? You take like an offensive minded guy. Do you get somebody that's under the radar that that does wonders? Like Matt Lafleur wasn't really big. I feel like on a lot of people's radars, they didn't have a great offense, and that's somebody where it's like, okay, maybe they bring in a Brian Callahan or somebody like that, and he does wonders. He's able to kind of turn that offense around. He brings in a great defensive play caller and they, they kind of rock and roll from there. So I don't, I don't know where kind of the pivot point is there. I think Mike McDonald would definitely be uh, top of the list out of the guys that they could hire. Um, and then again, they have the seventh overall pick so you can boost that offensive line. You can grab like a Malik neighbors if you want. Um, I feel like grabbing Joe Alt and pairing him with uh, Peter Skaronsky, like you're really solidifying that offensive line, which would be awesome. They're first in effective cap space, so they can go out and sign a lot of free agents. Uh, again, very similar situation to Washington, in my opinion. And then Seattle. Uh, Pete Carroll um, kind of steps down as the head coach. He is still a senior advisor for the team. So he still definitely has influence and in say on some stuff. But I think they felt like he was getting a little bit older. Um, couldn't run the team as well as he had previously. And I feel like they have some some good pieces. I think the biggest thing with taking Seattle's job is that uh, you're 24th in effective cap space. So they're actually a little bit under the cap right now uh, with about negative 10 million. Uh, so they're going to have to restructure, cut some people. Uh, and they have the 16th pick. Uh, so they're kind of sitting in the middle of the pack. Um, do they go after a guy like Mike Vrabel? I know that's who we have listed here. I think he'd be a great fit there. He'd be able to, um, I think, strengthen that defense. They have a lot of great pieces on that defensive side, um, but it hasn't played up to par um, in the past couple of years. So if you're able to boost that, if Geno Smith is kind of able to keep doing what he's doing with the offensive pieces they have there, they don't have Shane Waldron there. So it'll be interesting to see who kind of that, that new offensive play caller is. Uh, what are your takes on Seattle? And do you think Vrabel is the best option or is there another way they could go? Yeah, for Seattle, and we talk about all these other teams like Carolina, Atlanta, Vegas, Chargers, Washington, Tennessee. All those teams are basically starting over or they're in the process of a rebuild. And even the team we'll talk about after this. But Seattle, they're able to compete. They have the pieces and stuff like that. Geno is getting a bit older, so they might need to draft a younger guy for a QB to sit behind him or something. But they could compete right now. I know Seattle's a team that both of us preseason thought would be competitive in the NFC and in the playoffs. So I think a guy like Vrabel, who can come in and work with that defense and keep them, like maybe get Legion of Boom 2.0 on that side of the ball, uh, along with younger like younger and improving offense i know they drafted uh jackson smith and jigba this past year they drafted charles cross and uh i'm blanking uh abraham lucas i believe their right tackle a couple years ago so they have the young pieces on the offensive side of the ball and two young uh running backs as well so they have pieces there they just need a to get a a younger guy behind gino for when the time comes to step in there but yeah i like Vrabel there i think he's the best like plug and play win now guy him and harbaugh so i think uh he'd be a good fit there um and then the last team that had a head coaching opening but they actually hired a head coach because they had the succession 
uh, clause in this guy's contract. That was the New England Patriots. And we talked about them also being in a good spot. And they hired Jared Gerard Mayo, I believe is how you say his name. He was a linebacker for him. He won Super Bowls for him. He's been coaching the linebackers and uh, been the de facto defensive coordinator for the past five years, I think. And uh, this is a guy that was drafted by Belichick, was groomed to be his replacement, and now is replacing him. And he's going to have the third pick in the draft. And as you have noted here, fourth and effective cap space. So they could go out and spend uh, on the – it needs to be the offense. They could spend on the offense and improve there. And he could just help guide this team into the future because the past couple of years under Belichick, they've been on a bit of a decline for like varying reasons. Obviously the offensive coordinator debacle and this year, the QB play isn't up to par and the offensive line is horrible. They have the resources to fix that kind of stuff this year. I think this is a great hire because he's very well respected in new England and across the league. In fact, Last year, the Panthers inter- or requested to interview Jerron Mayo for the head coaching job here. Uh, I think he declined, but uh, it worked out for him because now he's the head coach in New England. Yeah, my biggest thing with this Jared Mayo hire is that it didn't feel like they interviewed anybody else. And that is a little bit of concern for me. Um, when we look at succession plans, you have guys like Jim Caldwell recently and like I think there's one other guy recently, but I wouldn't call these guys great success stories. Um, I think they're well-respected. I think they're great coaches. Uh, but being the head coach, um, I think, takes a little bit more to operate. And the last time Robert Kraft had to go out and hire guys, he was hiring guys like, and these are, these are great coaches uh, listing off, but he hired Pete Carroll. He hired Bill Belichick. Um, they're both in their seventies now. So this is, this is a new age. This is a new era. And my concern is, is does Mayo actually fit the bill? Is he actually going to be able to step up and play ball? Um, And like you said, there's a lot of concerns on the offensive side. Uh, Is he able to bring in a good offensive coordinator with differing perspectives? Because this whole Bill O'Brien, Matt Patricia, uh, maybe you do bring in Josh McDaniels, maybe with his relationship with Robert Kraft, I think he's a good play caller. Um, and that would be a good stop gag. You got to find a good offensive line coach and you got to spend. This is this is one thing that they're going to have to do is invest in that side of the ball and hope Mayo uh, can compensate on the defensive side. And they have plenty of talent on the defensive side. So I don't think it's so much as compensation as more just work with what you have and make the most of it. Yeah, for sure. Um, and they do have the resources to do that. And we saw a couple of years ago when the Patriots, I believe at the time, they gave out the most cash in a free agency hall. That was the Matt Judon, uh, Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar year. I believe it was the most cash spending in a single free agency. Um, so there, yeah. there's experience doing that in the past couple of years within that organization. So I don't have any worries there. And I think if Bill Belichick like had this guy as a successor and approved, I trust the guy, right? This is the greatest coach in NFL history. Yeah, so I trust no, that one there. Um, hopefully he can lead them back to the playoffs. Uh, we had some good playoff games this past week. No, we didn't. We had one good playoff game this past week. We had one good one. And yeah, we had one. five essential blowouts. Um, the good one. Uh, yeah, no, no, it was just all blowouts, basically. Well, the, the one good one I, I think everybody thought would be a good game, and that was the Rams-Lions game. Uh, obviously, there was that – was it a – Pass interference call, was it not? Uh, Sean McVay obviously made some questionable decisions on the red zone, timeout usage, et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, and again, like a lot of people want to knock Sean McVay for uh, time management issues. Go watch Andy Reid in the 2000s. I'm begging, like, go watch Andy <laughs> Reid in the 2000s. Like, you, there's, like, this there's is a, a reason that, he's not the Eagles head coach right now. And, and absolutely. But it's one of those things that you can't knock a guy because of some of this stuff. Like, you can, but he does so many other things. He elevated a roster that had no business being in the playoffs. And while it sucks that, yes, he didn't use his timeouts accordingly. Uh, yes, he didn't go for it probably in the red zone like he should have. He he settled for field goals. Um, he does so much for that team and that offense um, that I feel like it's more they need to boost their analytics staff and have somebody on his ear going, hey, do this now or do this now. Like as a consultant, not so much that, oh, McVeigh's trash or uh, McVeigh has, 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 needs to grow in certain areas. I think that's easily solved with hiring the right guy in a department. Um, but well, moving and, on. And for sure, I, I just want to say too, Stafford was battered that game too. So he was balling like the yeah. dimes, the Puka. Oh my gosh. All, uh, all pro Puka Nakua as well. But, uh, yeah, I, I think we're going to get, a. Uh, some good matchups this week. I, uh, I don't know about that one. I these, well, these I think we'll have one good one, the Kansas City Buffalo Bills. I think uh, Tampa Bay Kansas Detroit can be surprising. I would uh, say that. Okay. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll get the, into that. So the, the Sunday the games, games will have, be good. The Saturday games not so much. The Saturday games you have Houston traveling to Baltimore, a rematch of week one. Um, I believe in that game, Houston scored all of like nine points. Like it wasn't anything impressive. Now, granted. Um, they were still kind of working on developing CJ Stroud. Um, but it, I, I don't think that they're going to have any answers against Mike McDonald. This isn't, this isn't, so we didn't talk about this in coach talk. We ran out of time, but Jim Schwartz runs a very aggressive defense. And the way offenses were combating that was you got to play a lot of quick game. You get the ball out quick. You get it, the guys out in space and let them do the work. And it worked like it, it, it like pretty much won them the game. Um, but when you go against the Ravens who are so fundamentally sound and they're able to stop Shanahan offenses that were just scoring points at will at times this year, I, I think that's hard to beat a team that beat you 25 to nine and has gotten better offensively since that week one matchup. So I, I'm not saying it's impossible. I just don't see that as being competitive. And then the second game, like we talked about, Green Bay is going to San Francisco. They got a huge moral victory. Now, granted, they they shellacked the Cowboys. I feel like in the fourth quarter they were cruising a little bit. So it wasn't like they were they were going super hard. They had a lot of injuries. I know Jair Alexander got beat up. But this Joe Barry defense, outside of the past like month stretch, where he's actually tightened up a little bit since that Panthers game, um, I, I don't think this is a good defense. Like a, a lot of big names on it because they have first round talent. I don't see them stopping the 49ers offense. And I think Fred Warner in that defense is more equipped to match up with the Green Bay Packers offense and give Jordan Love fits. And I think that's going to be the difference on Saturday. I don't know if you see it going any differently, but again, it's two young quarterbacks going against really good defenses and they have good offenses on the other side. And I question the Texans defense, still very young, still a lot of holes and the Packers defense led by Joe Barry. Yeah, I agree with pretty much everything you said there. For me, it's the uh, the offenses of the number one seeds. I don't think either of the teams are going to be able to handle the the MVP offense that Baltimore is running uh, through Lamar Jackson or the Shanahan offense. Uh, I, I can't imagine a worse matchup for Joe Barry's like for a Joe Barry team than Kyle Shanahan. I think He's they're gonna. Weeks. 
He's had yeah, two who, weeks. who has had two weeks? All of his uh, players have rested. They're fresh. McCaffrey's going to have his They've rested for three weeks at this point. touchdown game. Yeah, basically. I guess it's the, same I guess with it's the only too. thing. I guess it's the only thing you could say about both of these teams is they could come out lethargic. You have teams that are hot because that's exactly what it is. Let's call it what it is. The Texans and Packers both just dropped 40 points. And against what I think we both agree were top 10 defenses this year. So I, yes. I guess that's the only saving grace in this argument is that both of these offenses did put up phenomenal performances. My issue is, is that I think the defenses are a little bit more equipped to handle it this time around. I do too. And I think you have uh, more seasoned coaches. I, don't, I mean, Mike McCarthy's been around the block, but uh, I, I trust uh, Harbaugh and Shanahan over him. So both one seeds, I think we both agree are going to win Saturday. It's just the yeah. Sunday games are the interesting ones. Like I obviously the Kansas city Buffalo games, the big one, uh, Kansas city what? seems to be the boogeyman for Buffalo in the playoffs, <laughs> even though Buffalo wins in the regular season, they, they just can't seem to get it done in the playoffs. They however, had a lot of injuries yesterday and well, they're, they're two days down on rest. I mean, that, that a lot of conflicting well, factors. Well, that, uh, for that is a plus in Kansas city's favor, but what's a plus in Buffalo's favor is none of those matchups were in Buffalo. Patrick Mahomes no. doesn't play away playoff games, but now he has he to go to Buffalo where we just saw them have to postpone a game because of some lake effect snow and a blizzard. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. Now Arrowhead isn't a warm place by any means, but uh, Buffalo is a little bit different cold. So we'll I, see I don't there. think the cold is going to affect the Chiefs as much. Um, I'm going to be interested to see what Spags does against Josh Allen. Um, obviously, Joe Brady's found some answers with the running game. Uh, they have a great running back, uh, second-year guy, James Cook. Um, and then you have uh, Shakir, who's come on strong for them as a, a third option behind guys like Stephon Diggs and Dawson Knox and Dalton Kincaid. And that'll be interesting. I think there are some good matchups there. I, I like the Chiefs' back end. I, I like their linebacking core. Uh, I like Trent McDuffie, Legereus Sneed. Those are guys that I think can give this Bills offense a fit. And I think they're upset about kind of that – Kadarius Tony uh illegal formation or lining up offensive offsides yeah yeah because that play by Kelsey which I thought was pre-designed I thought that was a hey you're out in space we know you're there we know people are going to gravitate towards Kelsey we're going to get you the ball I thought that was a play design and then Kelsey saying afterwards like nah I I I did that on the fly like that would have been which more people should do by the way I don't know why people don't do that my gosh like some of those hook and ladder concepts do work. And that's what I'm mm -hmm. saying. Like, that's why I thought it was a pre-designed kind of thing. Like that would have gone down as one of the best plays in NFL history had there not been the NFL offside or the offensive offsides. So I think there's a little bit of revenge in this. Like you said, the Bills have had success against Kansas City in the regular season. They haven't had in the postseason. It's the divisional round. Overtime rules have changed. Uh, touchdown uh, is scored on the first drive. I actually saw it from Benjamin Solak today. He said it would be funny if the Bills get the ball in overtime to start. They drive down, score a touchdown, and then the Chiefs drive down, score a touchdown, the tie, and go for the win, get the two-point conversion, and walk out of there. And that would be wild. Like That I would think, be hilarious. I think Bills Mafia would be on suicide watch. And we have a couple Bills fans, um, but that would, be a, that would be a true heartbreaker right there. I think that's going to be the best game of the weekend. It's a reason it's on Sunday. 
I think you're a little bit more optimistic with the Tampa Bay Detroit game, which I think we want to touch on a little bit before we kind of wrap up this episode. And for me, Detroit won the game in Tampa earlier in the year, 20 to six Baker Mayfield had a couple missed shots. Um, it was two. Who's their rookie. I, I I'm blank. Trey Palmer. I, yep. Trey Palmer. He was going down the seam. I think Chris Godwin had a couple opportunities and Baker Mayfield just overshot him. The next week, the lions played, I think the Ravens and got absolutely demolished. Like the Ravens just had their way with them. So if Baker can hit some of those shots in a dome in a controlled environment, I think there is a shot on Sunday. My issue is, is I don't think the Buccaneers defense is going to stop this Lions offense. I think the Lions offense behind that home crowd, as loud and obnoxious as they were this past week against the Rams, they're going to be that much louder this Sunday. Like this is a opportunity to play in a conference championship game, which most of the fans that will probably be in that stadium, I, I don't think, like, I don't know the last time the Lions were in a championship game, but it's probably got to be in the 30-plus year range, if I had to guess. I, I probably should have done some more research on that. But to me, I think the Lions have the advantage there, and I don't think the Bucks are going to keep it competitive. Uh, the last time the Lions made it was in 91, so uh, we weren't alive. Okay. Okay. But um, no, uh, Eminem is definitely going to be rowdy up there in the stands like he was this past game. But uh, I, I think we're underselling Baker a little bit. Obviously, at the beginning of the year, he wasn't great, but he's been playing his best ball down the stretch here. And I think you're right. I think the Tampa Bay defense is not going to lock up the Detroit offense. But I think the Tampa Bay offense is going to put up numbers. I think this is going to be a shootout. I think we could very well see something like a, uh, I don't know, like a 30 30- – 834 something like that something crazy crazy high scoring and this is a game and a, a lot of these are narrative games like we have a possible rookie of the year in stroud versus the possible mvp in lamar we have the uh the kansas city buffalo grudge match we have the green bay san francisco rivalry which dates back forever that's like the whole they passed on rogers that kind of stuff the story of this one, in my opinion, is you have two number one overall picks, Baker Mayfield, Jared Goff, who are on different teams now. Basically, the teams that took them didn't want them. They had to get rid of them. Obviously, the Rams sent Jared Goff to the Lions in part of the Matthew Stafford trade. And then Baker Mayfield got sent to the Panthers in the offseason a couple years ago. Then he uh, requested to be put on waivers, so we put him on waivers. Rams picked him up. He had a couple nice moments with the Rams. was a free agent this year. Signs with Tampa Bay. We both didn't think they would do much, and he's led them to the playoffs. So this is a kind of a matchup between uh, underdogs and like uh, I don't know if you ever saw the the Rudolph New Year special when you were a kid, but it's like the Island of Misfit Toys. Um, yeah, it's like Baker and Goff there, the Island of Misfit Toys, but they're leading their they teams wanted. to yeah yeah they weren't and wanted, but now, now they're leading their teams to divisional rounds. And what makes it greater is uh, Goff beat up on. He didn't. I mean, it was a close game, but he beat Sean McVay, the guy who uh, who groomed him and the team that drafted him. So that made uh, that made it all the more sweeter. But uh, yeah, I think the Sunday games will be the better games for sure. Now we are into our final section. It's it's amazing. We ended up cutting out a lot of content that we wanted to provide you guys. We'll probably touch on it in future episodes. We just got wrapped up in kind of talking about coaches for the Panthers. Uh, our coach talk section about uh, vacancies around the NFL. And now we're into perfect takes. And my perfect take for this week, and I I loved what Bobby Sloak did last year. He took advantage of a, a fast-paced defense that was super aggressive, and Jim Schwartz wasn't able to adapt. 
I don't think Mike McDonald's going to have that problem. I think he is going to put Bobby Sloak in his place, remind him he's a first-year play caller. He's going to remind C.J. Stroud he is still a rookie quarterback, and they're going to cover. Uh, the line in that game is 9.5. I think they win by 10 or more. And I think the same goes for the number one seed in the NFC. I think the 49ers are just that good of a team. And one of the biggest things that we've talked about with this team is can they stay healthy? If they have their stars aligned, they steamroll teams. And it's not usually close. And they have Christian McCaffrey healthy. They have Debo Samuel healthy. They have Brandon Ayuk healthy. They have George Kittle healthy. Brandon Ayuk was second uh, pro all team. Kyle Juszczyk, George Kittle, Christian McCaffrey, first team all pro. Trent Williams, first team all pro. I mean, this is, this is a team full of superstars. And then you have Fred Warner on that defensive side, along with some other stars on that defensive line. And it just, it doesn't seem like it stops when you start talking about the 49ers. They're at home. They've had several weeks rest. Kyle Shanahan is whipping up something very special for a guy that worked with him and under him uh, multiple years, whether it be the Washington staff, the Atlanta staff. I think he is going to put Matt LaFleur in a blender he did it with inferior talent in past years, um, beating Aaron Rodgers at Lambeau Field. Um, again, so my take is, is that both these teams, the Ravens and the 49ers, show why they're the number one seeds, and they both cover. They both win by 10 or more. That is uh, quite the take. I agree with uh, the fact that they'll both win, although I think uh, some of them might be more competitive. I think the Houston game might be a bit closer, but I like both of those. Mine, however, is, and I'm going back and forth on the winner of this game. Right now I have the Chiefs, <laughs> but I, I don't know. The more I think about it, like, kind of want to flip-flop. I think Joe Brady's offense and the Buffalo Bills offense will score, or let's say the team as a whole will score 27 or more points. I think it's going to be an offensive game for them. I, I don't quite know if this is the year that they finally exercise the ghost that's been tormenting him, and that's the Chiefs. But I think this... I think it's going to be the closest for sure. Maybe not as close as 13 seconds, but I think they're going to put up quite a fight. And I think that they're going to score 27 or more points. So, uh, so you I'm, know how many points they scored when they won in Kansas city this past year? And that was what, with Joe Brady. What, 26. At no, they won 20 to 17. So this okay. is, this is, this is a, but a good take. I think this is a perfect this is take in for Buffalo. Yeah, it is. So does Josh Allen, does he go nuclear? I, I think this is a, a a good good way to end kind of this podcast. So um, you heard it here, uh, the number one seeds, they'll, they'll cover, they'll win, uh, they'll dominate. And then in Jacob's case, he does have the Chiefs currently winning. It could change. We don't post our picks until Friday. Um, but he does have Joe Brady's offense scoring 27 or more on the Spagnola-led defense. So some good takes uh, here at Perfect Takes. Uh, we are wrapped up for this uh, episode. We went over, uh, despite cutting probably about, like I want to say, 20% of the content we wanted to cover. So we'll bring that more to you guys next week. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week. If you guys have any questions, shoot them to us at perfect underscore takes, and we'll be sure to answer them. Until then, we'll talk to you then.